Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Automatic, the smart driving assistant that helps you save on gas, remember where you parked, decode your check engine light, and get assistance after a serious crash. Available for iPhone and Android, Automatic plugs into your car's data port, has a 45-day return policy, and no shipping fee. For $20 off your order, go to automatic.com slash momanddad. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 18th, the Truth About Santa edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 6, Sam 3, and Wally 1. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 9, and Harper, who is 7. Hey, Dan. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, hello, Allison. Merry Christmas. On today's show, we are joined by esteemed colleague and father of two, John Dickerson, to talk about Santa, how best to lie about him, when to give it up, and what we all thought of the dude when we were kids. Then, is it possible to get your kids gifts that they will love that don't involve screens? John Dickerson will give us some tips. Plus, parenting triumphs and fails, recommendations, and a listener call about what to do when mom and dad are really fighting. And for our special Slate Plus segment, John will stick around to tell us about his greatest recent triumph or fail in the parenting department. So if you haven't signed up for Slate Plus already, now is the time. Now is also the time to please subscribe to Mom and Dad Are Fighting in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And it's always a good time to keep spreading the words to your friends and family. Okay, on to triumphs and fails. Uh, Dan, you want to go first? Sure. I've got a fail this week. Contra the listener who wrote in saying, I feel like Dan always has triumphs and Allison always has fails, which is right. <laughs> I think Often, that, yes, describes I think our... I think that skews correct. Dan and I have been working, listeners, Dan and I have been working on like this big slate project together for the past few weeks. And our personalities are really <laughs> just like rubbing up against each other. Really coming to the fore. Yeah. I'm very positive about how this thing's going to turn out. And Allison, every time someone tells us that things look pretty good, is like, oh, they mean it's terrible. <laughs> Okay, but anyways, this time I have a fail. My fail, it's a pretty good one, actually, I think. My fail is that I did not sign up for Harper and I to go to the Snowflake Ball. Each spring, the brownies in our part of Arlington do a kind of evening formal dance for dads and daughters. It is called the Snowflake Ball. It is in a hotel ballroom. Everyone dresses up. It is a fundraiser for I don't even know what the hell. And I did not sign up for it this year. But my real fail, I think, you can tell me if this is true, Allison, is that it's not that I forgot. It's that I intentionally didn't sign up because I don't like the snowflake ball. Why? Because it's terrible. 
So, all right. So this weekend I was at Harper's Brownie meeting. I was volunteering at her Brownie meeting and one of the moms had a box out for people to put their signup sheets in because signup was the next day. And in Arlington, literally the snowflake ball fills up in under an hour the day that registration starts. So the only way that you can get in is if a mom from the troop drives the forms over to the house of the mom who runs the snowflake ball and drops them off in that first hour. So she had them already. And she said, Dan, don't you have your form? And what I should have said was, oh, no, we're out of town that weekend. But instead I said, no, I'm not signing up. I'm just not really a fan of the snowflake ball. And she was totally aghast. And she said correctly, Dan, it's not about you. And she's totally right. It's not about me. I'm totally selfish. But last year, I went to the Snowflake Ball with Lyra. It was her year to go. And it was like two and a half hours long. And she and her friends spent the entire time drinking Coke and running around and chasing after each other and hiding under tables. And they would not dance with their dads. No one danced with their dads. All the dads stood around in suits, being uncomfortable and unhappy. And it was really expensive. And unfun like did she have fun though she had fun running around and drinking coke but she could do that anywhere like the fun that she had at the snowflake ball had nothing to do with this idealized version of fun that the snowflake ball represents which is this this bonding opportunity for the arlington fathers who don't very often don't get to do anything special with their daughters to dress up and take them to a dance is that even true though like these balls have clearly become like a very popular thing according to my you know facebook feed yeah but it's a weird thing that, like, I guess it used it would it would make sense more when like the dads went off to work and barely saw their kids, and the mothers were always home, and so this was like this special time for a dad and daughter. But it's not like that at all. Like you do quality things with your daughter all the time now. Yes, and that's sort of how I objected. I objected to having to pay some large sum of money to have special time with my daughter when it wasn't even special time, and we have more special time for free all the time. And it was, but it's still, it's like shitty. Like Harper is a different kid than Lyra. I bet Harper would actually like dancing with me or the entire event or the pageantry of it more than Lyra did. But I still was just like, fuck this noise. I'm not does doing she, it. does she want to do it though? Has she said I something? don't know. I haven't even asked her about yeah. it. Okay. I would call that a fail. <laughs> okay. How about you? I have a fail too. It's just, uh, I like, I flubbed Hanukkah last night. It was the first night of Hanukkah and I was kind of frantic at work and just didn't. Really? Are you closing some kind of giant project? (laughs) Just didn't do anything. And, I mean, we lit the menorah and we had presents, but I didn't make latkes and didn't have, like, a special dinner. And I think my kids were kind of like, this is it. And you're already, like, fighting up against the, like, general lameness of Hanukkah. Right. Um, So this is it-ness that Hanukkah already failed. Right, right. And a lot of my, you know, friends who are Jewish, they're going to give their kids gifts every single night. But we don't really do that because our kids also celebrate Christmas. So they're going to get so many gifts. And I just feel like it makes them into monsters to have, like, eight days of gifts. And then Christmas, it's crazy. So, you know, I don't know. I just feel like we're, we don't make a big deal about it. And last night, I kind of felt sad about it. I mean, when I dropped Harry off at school in the morning, I was like, see you tonight for Hanukkah. And he was like, gave me like a thumbs up and said, (laughs) said, we'll light the menorah. And I was just like, oh, God. (laughs) So listeners, if you have like fun ideas for how to make Hanukkah more fun on a budget, no, not on a budget, but how to make Hanukkah more fun on with little time. Right in. On, on a time budget. On a time budget, right. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit of a fail, but you've got seven more days to make it up, so you should not stress out. I I, I, I mean, is it worth noting that we, a non-Jewish family, I know, made latkes, la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our first segment, Santa Claus. Parents, 
if you're listening to this with little kids, uh, I don't know why you would do that. But anyways, spoiler alert, we are talking about Santa Claus and the truth about Santa Claus. So, uh, Lyra is nine, and this is definitely the year where she pretty much has figured out the truth about Santa Claus. She is considered enough not to talk about it in front of Harper. Yeah, actually, I think that's how I know she really actually knows, because if she wasn't sure, she would just loudly ask a lot of questions in front of her sister. But the fact that she thought, oh, maybe I should not ask questions about this in front of my sister suggests she really has figured it out. So she's asked us some questions on her own. She's very polite about our elf on the shelf, but she clearly is not under the misconception that he is a magical creature who reports back to Santa. And I'm sort of having a little trouble navigating this transition. Like, it feels sort of representative to me, first of all. Like, it's like of a bigger change, like that moment in Boyhood, right, where Mason is like, well, there aren't really any elves or anything like that, right, Dad? But also, it's sort of taking some of the fun out of our Christmas. So we have invited John Dickerson, Slate's chief political correspondent, but also a lovely writer about his own family, to come here and talk to us about Christmas. John, welcome. Thank you, Dan. John, your Merry kids Christmas are... Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, too. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, right. Uh, John, <laughs> you're... Your kids are older than Allison's kids and my kids, right? Tell tell us their ages. Yes, they're 10 uh, and 12. Okay. I assume that they have made this transition, basically. They have, but I think it's like the one China policy where we recognize that China, that the, the United States government recognizes one China, but also has relationships with Taiwan. And we say there's one China, but we kind of act in a lot of ways like there are two Chinas, and we just agree with the Chinese not to press on it too hard. And right. so I think the kids know, I think they both know now, there is no Santa. How long they have known that's the case, I don't know. But they will get presents from Santa this year, and they won't poke at it. This is in uh, opposition to everything else in the world that they poke at, right. both with each other and with us. So is it just because they sort of instinctively understand, or have you explicitly told them that if you pick at it, the presents stop coming? I think they implicitly understand, don't look a gift Santa in the mouth. Right. Wait, does that happen? Once your kids no longer believe in Santa, they stop getting presents? No, but you could imagine them them thinking, or I mean, maybe that's true in some households, but you could imagine them thinking that, like, don't, you know, don't mess with the with the thing that's that's providing us the bounty. And also, by the way, just as a cheap parenting trick... We give, I think this is true, I don't know whether we, uh, we, we thought it through this way, but it's the result of some kind of behavior. Anyway, we, we give, Santa gives the most kind of sugary, terrible for the kids gifts. Yeah. Like the year we gave him an Xbox came from Santa. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. the parents are associated with the like, the big box of like math flashcards and, you know, box of good for you fiber cereal. And sweaters. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Allison, we have sort of basically told our kids, like, the, the answer I've given to Lyra when she asks about Santa privately is, well, you know, Santa is magical and he exists for those children who believe in him and he brings presents to those children who believe in him. Is that too mean? I mean, I'm uncomfortable with the whole bribery aspect of, you know, if you're good, you're like this is, I mean, John, when it turns, John, my husband, not John Dickerson, when it turns December 1st, he's like, yes, now we have like a whole month of being able to parent based on Santa threats. He waits till December. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not so into it because I didn't grow up with that. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it seems a little harsh. I'm more curious, though, John, do you... Given that your kids don't believe anymore, but that they're not 
like they're not being honest about this to themselves or to you? Do you still do all the rigmarole? Like, do you have them like write their list to Santa and all of that stuff or? We never we never really did that in part because we spend more time on the actual religious side of Christmas. So we do the advent calendar and advent stories. And the emphasis has always been much more on the religious portion. We had a debate last night about whether the baby Jesus in the creche should be in Mary's arms or not, because it hasn't happened yet. So my daughter took the little clay Jesus out of Mary's arms, which makes it Mary look very weird because her arms are like she's cradling, well, nothing. Yeah. Um, and you can't put the little baby Jesus in Mary's womb somehow. Like, right. You can't actually represent the position at this point in the Advent story. Exactly. And the, the wise men are there. So right. we put it out. Like, this is a snapshot of, like, they're all there because Jesus has arrived. They're not there just like, okay, let's get going, Mary. We got to get this baby going because the stars got to get up in the sky. And then, so um, anyway, the point is that we, we never did the lists or the, like, I, we might have done cookies one year. And we and and when we go to um, Anne's parents in Tennessee, there are the, the stockings are like a big deal. So, um, but there wasn't a big unwinding of Santa ritual to to worry about. It was just basically that Santa gets written on the big gifts that they go to first. That's handy. I mean, I do think that it's notable. I don't think this is universally true, but I do think it's notable that that in our family, which is for which the religious aspects of Christmas are not that big of a deal and not really that dwelt on, Santa has sort of become like the surrogate religious figure related to Christmas in our home. Like, he, we, in fact, we do do all those lists, and we do do lots of rigmarole, and we have the friggin' elf on the shelf, and we, I mean, we do all this stuff, and that is the focus of Christmas. I mean, obviously, we talk about Christmas being a time with family. We try and do nice things for other people. We try and do charity work in December, and all those things have to do with Christmas, but really, Christmas is mostly about Santa. All right, so you, do you guys remember when you finally figured out that Santa wasn't real? Yes, I really do. I figured it out when I was nine, and I figured it out, like, definitively uh, because Santa and my dad had the same terrible handwriting. My dad had very, has very distinctive handwriting, and Santa, the Santa gifts were clearly written by my dad. And I was like, oh, well, the only possible explanation for this is that the rumors I've been hearing are true. There is no Santa. Oh, my God. So you, like, did a forensic investigation, <laughs> yeah, like CSI yeah. Christmas. Yeah, that's did exactly Did you confront your dad? Uh, I think I did. As I have a memory of saying, Dad, I think that you're Santa. And I think he just said, yes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> he withered under <laughs> the harsh interrogation. He did of CSI Christmas. I, like much of my childhood... This is a memory that is either suppressed or it was not. So in other words, it could have been a huge momentous turning point in my life, but it has been suppressed or it kind of just happened and I moved on. Christmas was a huge thing in our house, a big, big deal uh, for my mother particularly. And uh, uh, but I don't remember when Santa fell apart, probably around the time of the, the divorce, you know, all bad things happening at once. Right. Oh, my parents are getting divorced, and also Santa doesn't exist. Right, exactly. Right. right. And I saw the Easter Bunny down at a biker bar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, were you the kid who was, the, were you like the Jewish kid telling everyone spoiler. Santa's not real? Yes, I was the yeah. spoiler. I will not do that to my own children. I mean, you know, it's more complicated because they actually right now believe in Santa, and we're doing both, we do both holidays. But, um, but yeah, I think a lot of Jewish kids grow up, and their parents tell them the truth as a way to make them feel better about not... 
right. being involved with Santa. Uh, and I told my best friend who wasn't Jewish and then immediately felt horrible about it and couldn't convince her otherwise. Like, I was like, I'm just, that was wrong. I was wrong. There's Santa. Santa's real. Santa, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was like, she it, it blew it for her. So, But I w- do want to ask one final question. Did you guys ever feel bad about lying to your kids or that's just like not, it doesn't matter? Uh, well, I mean, our relationship with our children is... Based on lies. thorough, right, (laughs) tissue of lies. So, I mean, the fact that we are choosing to lie about a fat guy with a white beard is is just, like, so small compared to the big ones about, like, the benefits of hard work, clean room, manners. I lie to my kids all the time about the fact that the world is a a good place where everything will eventually turn out right. So I don't know why this thing about Santa is a big deal. Got it. All right. Thank you, John. We're going to have you stick around for our second segment. But first... A word from our sponsor, Automatic. There's a mountain of data inside your car that is just waiting to be unleashed. And all you have to do is plug in a little connector and download a mobile application. You know that you have that that little connection slot in your car that's usually right underneath the steering wheel. What you don't know is that there is a device that you can get that will use that connection slot to tell you what is going on inside your car. It's called Automatic. It is your smart driving assistant. It helps you adjust your driving habits to save gas. It remembers where you parked, and it helps you decode and clear your car's dreaded check engine light. If I had Automatic, it could help me solve the question of why my car has said TPMS and a little blinking light on it for over two years. Automatic can also detect many kinds of serious crashes. It can call for help and alert loved ones without an expensive subscription fee. You just plug in the automatic link into your car's data port. Your car and smartphone will automatically connect whenever you drive, every day, wirelessly. It's available for iPhone and Android. There's no shipping free. They have a 45-day return policy. It's a super great product, and you can get a special $20 off offer through Mom and Dad are Fighting by going to our special URL. And we really want you to go to this URL. It's automatic.com slash mom dad. Once again, that's automatic.com slash mom dad. You get $20 off automatic. They have a 45-day return policy, and there is no subscription fee. There's just a one-time fee that you pay. And it can really make your driving experience better. It can make your car safer. It can finally help you understand what TPMS actually means. Once again, that's automatic.com slash mom dad. Also, there's free two-day shipping for the holidays. So this is actually a great gift for your teenager who's just starting to drive and freaking you out or your college-age kid. Who is you should probably give it to ignoring that check engine light. Yeah, he'd love it. Yep. <laughs> Thumbs up, Mom. Okay, on to our listener call. Uh, today we have a good one from Diane in Chicago. But before we get to that, I want to talk about last week's uh, listener call, which Allison was not here for. Um, she, We had our guest host, Jessica Roke, who everyone will be very happy to know, um, gave me a little bit of pot at the Slate holiday party. So I'm good. I'm good to go right now. But a lot of emailers made a very, very important point about our advice last episode to our caller, the woman who wanted to know if she should just go ahead and conceive that second kid a few months after having the first. Jessica and I were basically like, sure, you should totally do that. Why not? But it is worth noting, as many emailers did, that a study came out this summer that included data on over 400,000 births in Ohio and concluded that mothers who have children less than 18 months apart are at greater risk for premature birth and other problems, and the greatest risk is for mothers who have children less than 12 months apart. Of course, your maternal age matters. 
Other factors may complicate this decision, but it's a decision that it is at the very least worth talking about, not only with your partner and with yourself, but with your OBGYN. We'll have a link to some articles on this question on our show page, plus a link to the study itself. You just Google mom and dad are fighting slate and you will find the show page. All right. Now here's our question from caller Diane in Chicago. Take it away. Hi, Dan and Allison. This is Diane calling from Chicago. I have a question for you uh, regarding uh, when and what to do when two partners or mom and dad really are fighting. So we've had situations where my spouse has blown up at me or I've blown up at my spouse in front of the children. Certainly we try to uh, wait until the children are in bed and have uh, civilized discussions about any disagreements, but just not practical that uh, our entire life will always have full control of our emotions. And so I was just wondering how you may recommend or how you have handled in the past uh, dealing with this in front of your children. And um, so thank you so much. Bye. So uh, this is obviously something that every family deals with. I definitely prefer not to fight in front of our kids, but I think that that's not entirely the right <laughs> impulse. I think it's all right to have your kids hear you fighting sometimes. If you really try to hide it and then it only comes out rarely, then I think it freaks them out or they don't understand what's going on. It seems like a bigger deal. I don't think you should like always be bickering in front of your children, but I think it's okay to have disagreements in front of your kids and have them just sort of absorb them and realize it's normal. It's interesting. Like, do you feel like, have you ever had like a shouting match with someone was with your with john or with another family member or even with like a shopkeeper or something i mean have your kids ever seen you like shoutingly angry at someone who isn't them before? um yeah i mean they saw me really angry at their swimming instructor once which i think oh, i talked I remember about that on the fail. show yeah and i know john once really yelled at some guy in the road like on who, a driver who almost hit him and uh sam and he thought sam was like really freaked out by that like not by almost being hit but by him yelling i'm not suggesting that we you like full volume sh- have a full volume shouting match but we don't really have those anyway in like a tiny apartment you can't really have those right uh, and also you know because we don't No, but we fight a lot actually and and i think to a certain degree it, it's <laughs> actually oh, hold on let me just back up for a second it's probably healthier in terms of your marriage to not f- be able to fight in the moment because if you do revisit it an hour later once the kids are asleep you're calmer so that's right. actually probably a better approach in terms of like how to engage <laughs> with your spouse but i think like if you bicker and you pick at each other in front of your kids at to a normal degree it's fine i do think that there's a real benefit in kids understanding that their parents are human beings like them and that we do things wrong or we do things that we don't feel great about later and that we then can like model at least what we hope to be the appropriate way to make up for those things, to apologize, to talk about them, to own up to the feelings that we have. I mean, I think those things are really valuable. I will say that the one thing that I think is like a non-negotiable never fight in front of our kids is we have a real rule that I think we've never broken of never arguing in front of the kids about the kids. That is so hard and so good. I mean, we do really hard. It's really hard. Yes. But like basically one of us disagrees about the way something should go with one of the kids or a parenting thing. Even if someone has made a decision that we don't love, 
we do not verbally contradict it because we feel like we need to back each other up. We need to be united front. These Otherwise, these kids will run roughshod over us, for God's sake. Um, and maybe that like antagonistic view is not the best way to go, but it does really feel like it feels important to me to know that Alia always has my back. And later, if she thinks that it was the wrong move, she'll talk to me about it and tell me. And later, if I think something she did was the wrong move, I'll talk to her about it. And maybe we'll end up yelling at each other. I don't know. But... In the moment, I really want us to have each other's back and support each other. And I agree that it's hard, but it does seem like crucial to me. And it's a slightly different issue than this. It's not we're yelling at each other about the bills and the kid hears it. What do you say? But it seems related, right? Yeah, it's definitely related. And actually, I mean, this is something that we are currently working on. But if you do pick at each other about, you know, whatever, some decision that your spouse made that you don't agree with in terms of disciplining your kids, then that turns into a fight about why you're picking at each other, which is then another fight that your kids hear. So, yeah, I think it's obviously best to support your spouse in front of your children. Also, kids are so good at seeing, like, where the where you're disagreeing and oh, how yeah. to manipulate that. They and my kids are cracks. on that. Yeah. yeah. So I agree that that's very important. But I think, like, fighting about, you know, I don't know. I mean, fighting about the bills and your ha- kids hear that maybe, like, someone spent too much money or someone's a little bit stressed about money. I think that's all right. I also think, like, you can talk to your kids about it. That's, you yeah. know, and, and if you do think that they heard something that you regret, definitely address it. Don't just ignore it because kids, you know, get into bed and stew. Yeah, just like we do. Right. All right. That is a great question, Diane. Thank you for calling in with it. We really want the rest of you listeners to call in with questions that you have that we can talk about on the air. If you have a question you want us to answer on the air, give us a call at 424-255-RUDE. That number again is 424-255-7833. Give us a call, leave us a message on our voicemail, and we'll try and answer it on a future show. Okay. On to our second segment. Earlier this week, John Dickerson emailed the staff of Slate asking... Has anyone seen a list of gifts for kids whose parents worry that they are losing touch with the tactile pleasures of building and temporal relationships because they are too much with the digital world? I was too busy texting to answer him, but luckily he's here to tell us about the results of his query. John, do you have some good suggestions? I do. I'll give you the suggestions first, and then we can talk about how I came to this place in life. So... um, That first one are like are the building structures, which I talk to lots of parents that I ping on these kinds of things for my parenting pieces and my focus uh, group, my focus group on the Facebook page, which has been conditioned by these kinds of um, uh, pleas has uh, they really came through. So the big one is Legos, right? So the free form Legos that you can make any old damn thing you want. But then also what's come uh, or like I've been introduced to by my kids is the the legos like the models so you can build everything from like a little digger that will you know kind of move or the millennium falcon from um from star wars and there's also something called a mindstorms robot that lots of people talked about which is like 350 bucks but it's a lego robot that's it's a lego ro- robot which i guess you can program or something um so you both build it and then you have fun with it once it's built which is um will it vacuum the floor right, well i mean for that amount of money yeah. it better like write your term papers for you um then there's the big the big old-fashioned wooden blocks mine i had some that my grandfather uh built you can buy those kind of blocks from melissa and doug or from whitney brothers just the big building blocks which uh there's also nano blocks tiny little lego like blocks that my daughter really loves you can build like a little model of the taj mahal and i have like four of these on my desk at home of things she built they're perfect for a rainy a rainy afternoon and then this company called Pitsco, P-I-T-S-C-O, makes these balsa wood structures. You can buy a 500-piece 
house frame that you so you can do your own like Amish barn raising. It's enormous, though. So you have to like take over the living room floor to build it for some time. And then there's something called um, Zome Tool, Z-O-M-E-T-O-O-L. And that's that's less like building houses, but like ge- creating these geometric shapes that are pretty cool. Um, so what is it about building? Why do you want what what is it to you that like you really want your kids to build things? Well, we haven't really even gotten into like the maker projects, which I will we can talk about later, which is a sl- like that's building circuitry and and also but I, the where this came from is this I, I had this thought process. Christmas is the time where the traditions of my childhood come back. It's the closest I get to time travel. So those fragile ornaments that like explode if they ever come into contact with a hardwood floor. Those have not changed since the 70s. They are still on my tree. They're still breaking. They still make the same sound. Mm -hmm. They still require exactly the same kind of complicated brushing up process where you never really get all the little pieces. The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Also, the one thing that my kids will watch that was made before 2011 and watch, you know, and enjoy. Just like my childhood, the Nat King Cole album with the Christmas songs, just like the one my dad used to play. And the kids will go along with this transportation back in time. Mostly, they will not uh, join into any of those old-fashioned traditions. And in this case, they will. Secondly, their defenses drop. They are down for the traditional Christmas stuff that requires, like, patient waiting and doesn't include Taylor Swift and doesn't have text messages involved. And they're okay with that. The advent calendar is one thing. Um, it's a like a weird thing that gets them incredibly excited in a way that feels like it wouldn't outside of the season. And so my thought was, you have this great moment, and then you ruin it by giving them things like an Xbox, which several a couple of years ago we finally broke down and gave the kids. And I all think that Santa was responsible for that. Santa, it, the damn Santa. <laughs> yep. And what does that do? It leads to fights over how much game time they have, the sullen sulk after they're done playing, and short dinners because they're like, okay, got to go, you know, want to go play the game. So it totally contradicts this little quiet burbling holiday life that you have. But so your solution is to give them things they like less than an Xbox? Well, this is the, (laughs) yes, you've hit on the inherent (laughs) tension. So the idea is, hopefully, to slip something into this sort of happy period that is sufficiently interesting and fun that they become interested and addicted to it on its own terms, and then it can last past December. So playing those board games with them in December allows gives you the opportunity to play them in June because they will remember that they were fun back when they basically were forced to play them because they had to spend four straight days with you and you didn't let them play with their Xbox. You have summed it up expertly. I think built into this is that you have to be willing to have your children open a gift that they're at first disappointed about, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. It's like Dan's point about the sweaters. Like, yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's, and, and that's the huge, that's the worst, right? You give them something and, and suddenly they feel like they've been transported to some sort of sad camp, right? <laughs> Where you, you give them like the pothole maker thing. You know, if, if, the, if you give that to a child in the wrong year, you scarred them for life, right? Because it says all kinds of things about what you, like you've given me this droopy, sad thing and and they and they have to then smile the way you you've seen it when a person gets a gift that they really are 
really aggrieved about, but they have to smile to the gift giver because they don't want to hurt their feelings. And it is that you know, oh, we haven't person. even gotten there yet. Yeah, my kids so can't you, even do that yet. You, you're they're exactly just, right. They're just visibly disappointed when you give. Yeah, them they're mad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. last night we gave Harry for the first night of Hanukkah uh, like a magic set because he's been doing like these not really very good magic tricks on his own. Uh, and we thought he'd be psyched about it, and he was just like, what the hell? This is like a box that I have to open and figure out how to do things instead of just like a Wii game or... Or a, a fake shitty magic trick that I do for you that isn't actually magic, but you have to pretend Right, and magic. once we actually, like, we opened it and we showed him how to do some, he was he was excited about it, but, like, definitely at first he was crying. <laughs> I Oh, I can always remember those being a huge disappointment, in part because this is another downside of these kinds of gifts. Like, if the ramp up, if you've got to read a lot of instructions, yep. you're in a bad place. Now, if if you can play with it at first and then read instructions to gain mastery, you know, so you put together the Lego thing and it's sufficiently appealing the first couple of times, but then to reach the expert level, you have to read instructions. That's fine. But if, like, you unspool all the cups and the balls and the wand and the card and the cape and the hat and it's all just kind of there without a theme... I could see how that would be disappointing. Magic sets are difficult, too, because there are basically two kinds of kids, I think. There are the kinds of kids who like the notion that they are using these tools to trick people, and they like the idea of learning these these skills to make these illusions. And then there are the kids who are like me, who are like, wait, I thought I was going to actually become magic. Oh, but I didn't. The magic set did not actually teach me magic. I had never, I had never exactly gotten it that they were fake tricks, and so they all seem so cheap and. Crummy. Are there really a lot so of kids angry. like that? I think that um, might have just been you. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> Where do you plot this on the when you learned about Santa? I was twenty-five. <laughs> uh, here's my question for you, John, about all these wonderful-sounding gifts and this great spirit of wanting to give your children things that allow them to make things in the world, as opposed to just stare at a screen. Don't you end up having to fucking make all this shit with them? <laughs> well, yes. Well, it depends. Our introverted daughter suddenly just started making these nano. I think she'd been given one at a birthday party or something. They're very small. She just arrived in my office with the Taj Mahal in her hand, which sounds like either the first line of a very bad book <laughs> or like a horribly bad Alanis Morissette all acoustic uh, so song review. So... Anyway, it was like all by herself she did this thing. Then my son is the opposite, which is like he wants you there and engaged as long as you are there as a consultant and not a manager. Right. And that is incredibly frustrating oh, because awful. if he's like we – so the one place that this all – the memory, this whole pursuit and most of my theories about how humans should behave – comes into play with our AFX racing set, which is a slot car racing set, which people who grew up in the 70s may be familiar with. I had one. My brother built it. It was, a, it was epic. It went on forever in our attic, and he finally let me play with it. He's five years older, so it took a long time. I just love this. It is my rosebud. And so I bought at Costco some bunch of years. I may not even have had kids at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, in fact, I'm sure I didn't. Um, I bought, like, a small version of this. And we break it out every Christmas. And the thing is, it requires assembly. There's some creativity, or you can do it the way it shows up on the box. You have to, like, be careful. You have to use an eraser to keep the um, the current flowing around the track. You have to, like, take care of the cars, put in oil, fix, fix the pickup oil shoes. them? Yeah, because they have, they're, they're these great little machines that have a turbine that, that can get um, overheated. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, and when you race, it makes noise. It kind of smells from the heat of the wires. It is a full sensory experience. It sounds Proustian for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so this is, uh, this is what, for me, like works and the kids are into it enough that they stick with it and I don't have to just do it by myself sad alone at night at 1230. All right. Well, this has been very interesting. I think it's a good call to sort of every all of our listeners. Like, is there the present that you give that makes you feel like this is the present that allows my child to interact with the world in some interesting way, in a way that they would not necessarily have thought of on their own, that is not a screen, that's not even a book necessarily. Books are great, obviously, but that allows you to make something on this earth. Uh, we'd love to hear what those presents are. If you have suggestions, please email us at momanddadatslate.com. I'm definitely going to try and find one present for my kids that will allow them to build something, hopefully without my help, because I don't want to do that shit. <laughs> Wait, but I think I'm going I'm to... You guys are you're making it impossible because if you want <laughs> if you want to get them something that they can just do on their own and like basically so they can like go in the other room and stop bothering you that's the like iPad video game stuff. If you want to get them these building things you have and like want to instill this stuff in them then you have to be involved, right? Or somehow we messed up and like 20 years ago kids could do this stuff on their own and now they can't. I don't exactly know if that's true, but I think you're right. I think it is. You you are buying into. You have to commit somehow. If it's the racing track, you have to decide as we did to basically rearrange the entire living room so it can set up. Or if it's one of these complicated, one of these great things is there's a, a company that makes wooden Da Vinci machines, and they're like puzzle. I mean, they're like puzzles and models, but it's wood. It's like ah. But yeah, you got to sit there and like get that crick in your neck from staring down at the sheet and waiting until they do the right thing like when i was building that that track this year like i basically had to walk away because of the way my son was designing it i knew it wasn't going to work but i had to like suck it up and let him go through the process yeah you have to do all that unless you're lucky enough to have an introvert who's just like oh yeah cool thanks for the puzzle i'll go do it away and then i'll bring it to you when it's done right but if your goal is to like get your kids to go just like leave you alone and be in the other room so that you can look at your screen then you probably have to do I, but but uh, why can't I have both, Allison? <laughs> yeah, or also there's another thing we haven't, another third option that we haven't um, uh, talked about, which is lots and lots of Benadryl. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and with that. Thank you, John. Thanks, Thank John. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, on to recommendations. I am going to give a couple of my favorite non-digital gift ideas, since that's what we talked about in our second segment. Two things. One, for preschool-age kids, magnetiles. I feel like everyone knows about magnetiles, but recently... Yes, they're great. But recently had a mother of two kids over who had never seen them before, so I just want to give them a little boost. They're these magnetic tiles, colorful (laughs) magnetic tiles that... Kids who are a little bit probably too young to really build stuff out of Legos, they're re- these are really easy to work with, and they can build rockets, and they can build, you know, houses, and they can knock them down, and it's not a big deal because they're easy to rebuild. So they're really, really fun. We bought them, I think, there was <laughs> going to be a hurricane. This was not Sandy. There was, like, gonna, before Sandy, there was going to be a big hurricane, and we all had to, like, be in for the whole weekend. It never actually happened, but or it never actually, it wasn't a bad storm. But these are really expensive, and we decided to spring for them that weekend because we thought we'd be stuck inside all weekend, and they've proven to be worth the price. They are, yeah, they are pricey, but they are really, really. They're like the rare thing where once your kid plays with them for a long time, you're like, oh, I see why I spent this much money on them. Yeah, they're super cool. And then also there's this game called Creationary, which I at first thought when my sister-in-law suggested it that it was <laughs> like – that it was – 
some Christian fundamentalist board game, but it's not. Do you know what it is? Have you heard of this game? No, no. It's awesome. It's a Lego game. It's a board game, but you each person's turn, there are prompts to have to build different kind of things, either a building oh, a or it's like sh- it's like charades with Legos. So like I have to build something and then you have to guess what it is that like I built. Like a 3D Pictionary. Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's super fun for kids of really all ages because it comes with a bunch of Legos, but you can play at different levels. So if you play with little kids, it can be like a build a house, build a rocket. But if it's older kids, it can be like build falling water. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I'm sure older kids build falling water. I think falling water actually is a real Lego set, one of those architect Lego. Yes, it things. is. That's yeah. correct. Uh, those those are both really great. I'm going to look into those because they seem like things that I can play with with my kids without going insane. Uh, all right. My recommendation is uh, for books. Um, <clears throat> the editor, Lizzie Skernick, she is a longtime New York book editor. She has this great new imprint she's just started. It's a series of reissued children's and YA books. It's called Lizzie Skernick Books. They are these handsome little retro paperbacks, and they are pretty much all reissues from authors that you maybe remember from when you were a kid or a teen, but whose stuff has sort of gone out of print, like Lois Duncan and Emmy Kerr and Norma Klein. But this year, and there are a lot of them are YA, but this year they also have republished these four classics of uh, sort of 70-year-old reading um, that had already long been favorites in our house, and they're called The All-of-A-Kind Family. Allison, did you read these books? No. No. It is a series by Sidney Taylor. Uh, It was written in the 1930s. They are very lovely stories about a big Jewish family living on the Lower East Side at the turn of the century. Um, They are adorable and so wonderful. I was just reading about this, because I think there was like a big event at the... Jewish Museum or some somewhere. I think the Lower East Side Museum. Yeah, the Lower East Side Museum. Museum. Exactly. Yes, had an event for them because they have just published. So Lizzie Skernick Books has just republished four of these that had gone out of print. Um, And the publisher, the uh, Ig Press, which is the publisher of Lizzie Skernick Books, is having this big great sale that I just saw for the holidays, which is if you buy three of the All of a Kind Family books, you get the fourth one for free. So I'm going to replace our old tattered Goodwill editions. And you guys should consider picking these up too. You can get the deal at igpub.com. Com, and it's the all-of-a-kind family books by Sydney Taylor. I am definitely going to get those. They're great. Okay, that's our show. Please email us at slate.com with your thoughts about today's show, parenting tips, and suggestions for future topics. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please call us with your questions at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, what John Dickerson never is. Never. Never. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. To the managing editor of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, and to Andy Bowers, executive producer of All Slate Podcasts. Thanks to great dad, John Dickerson, for joining us. Thanks to also great dad, Dan. Thank you, great mom, Allison. And thank you all for listening. No wrapping required. Give the gift of Slate Plus to another Slate fan in your life, and they'll receive all the benefits of membership. Bonus podcast segments, single-page articles, behind-the-scenes content, audio versions of your favorite articles, and so much more. Give Slate Plus today. Visit slate.com slash give plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.